Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Today, pandemonium unsues in the NBA here at 1.36 a.m. as we are recording this about an hour ago. Me and Jaren were about to start recording, and Kevin Durant was traded to the Phoenix Suns for four unprotected first-round picks Cam Johnson, Mikkel Bridges, and Jay Crowder. We were planning on this just being our happy, go-lucky Kyrie debut podcast, and that's still going to be what the base of this podcast is going to be, but obviously just a completely unprecedented event that has transpired here in the NBA, and it does have implications for the Mavs, of course, that we'll get into as the trade deadline as of right now at 1.36 a.m., is a little under 12 and a half hours away. And I mean, who all knows what's going to happen in the next 12 and a half hours with the chaos that is prevalent in the NBA now after this Kevin Durant move. There's tons of moves to be made just from a buyer's and seller's perspective uh, because who knows what everybody in the West is going to try to do to, you know, really try to get ahead of each other because what the Suns, have kind of done is um, just thrown off the the whatever sort of balance there was in the West, you know, with with Denver and Memphis at the top. All that is basically gone to shit, for lack of a better term. And you know, everybody the West could be insanely good right now. This is something that owner Matt Ashiba did on his first day as owner of the Suns. And we're of course going to get into this Mavericks game, Jaron. I forget the exact final score. If you would be so. Uh, the Mavericks won 110 to 104 against the Clippers, but that's yes, pretty Kyrie Irving had 24 points in yeah. his debut. It was a great, fun game, especially without Luca for the Mavericks to pull out in Kyrie's debut game. We really enjoyed it, and it's going to be the bulk of our podcast. Fear not, guys. But I mean, one of the craziest trade deadlines in NBA history, to say the least. Jaron, what was your reaction at face value when you saw this Kevin Durant news come under light? When you saw that Woj notification cross your screen? Well, at first I thought it would be a bigger package. Uh, I'm surprised. I know you think differently, um, but I was surprised to not see any of the sort of Chris Paul's or uh, DeAndre Aiden's involved in that package. And I mean, all of a sudden, I know the playoffs was already going to be interesting, but the playoffs becomes way more interesting, interesting, especially because this is located uh, in Phoenix. The Suns ended up getting that. And I mean, Man, like this, this shakes up the whole league. This shakes up the West. Like the West, do you realize Sunday morning went from just quiet, steady rise with Denver and Memphis to all of a sudden, like the teams from behind Dallas, Phoenix, Lakers, to like those could be the top teams. Um, I'm not disc- like discounting Denver and Memphis. They could make huge deals um, involving OG, but there's a huge shakeup that had to be done and I mean it was done and I mean I hate to say this but props to Phoenix they got him so 
No, yeah, you say that. I mean, we haven't we failed to mention even some of these deals that have gone came under light today. You know, this this podcast, we were going to probably structure it as talking about Kyrie at the start and then maybe at the tail end, get into some of the deals that had already transpired today and maybe some of the things that we'd be looking at for the Mavericks today. But I, I don't know. I feel like anything applicable that we thought kind of just goes out the window because what what even is the NBA trade deadline at this point? Um, you know, if we're looking at it, obviously the Lakers made a move earlier today and we obviously aren't going to dive too deep into this or else we'd be here for two to three hours, but where they acquired Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt, uh, two of which were definitely guys that the Mavericks were rumored in talks about, especially centered around a Dorian package. I know that that was a thing at one point, and we even alluded to some things, and we really love Jared Vanderbilt, so shame to see him go. Um, but it is what it is, of course, and um, there's obviously some pretty divisive p- opinions on Utah's return and Minnesota's return in those deals, but that was a big deal, of course, and I, I didn't even mention um, D'Angelo Russell is actually going to the Lakers yep. and Mike Conley is going to the Timberwolves. I, my head is in an absolute whirlwind right now, guys, uh, amidst this Kevin Durant news. And, of course, Utah in that trade gets back. Russell Westbrook's expiring a top one through four protected 2027 first, and they send out a second-round pick to Minnesota as well. And I believe they got, like, Quantas Conway-Anderson and Jamie and Damian Jones. Damian Lee. Well. Jamie, or Damian Jones, yeah. Yes. Um, so that was a trade that happened today, right before the KD trade, which went uh, was very swept under a rug. Because this basically negates two of the more favorable guys that we fancied on our trade deadline podcast. Um, and Yaka Pirtle, uh, a Mavs trade deadline target, at least by the conglomerate that is Mavs Twitter, maybe not the Mavs front <laughs> office. He was traded back to the Toronto Raptors, his stomping grounds, for a first-round pick in Kem Birch. An interesting move for the Raptors, especially, you know, that's definitely a team that has needed a center for the longest time. But at the same time, we also thought that this was one of the teams that had underperformed to a standard so far below where they thought they were going to be that they were almost going to look at a sort of pseudo rebuild, you know, maybe more of a retool, a retool label, whatever you want. But this is a team that sort of seemed hot and ready and primed to, you know, trade OG and Anobi and kind of just let, you know, Siakam ride it out the rest of the year and see if what position they get in the draft and just kind of see what they can do from there. But, and apparently recent rumors say that they're still going to trade OG. I mean, this keeps getting crazier by the day, but they bring in Yaka Pirtle, they get that, rim protector and that rebounder that they've sorely needed. You know, of course they got Chris Boucher up in the front court, but you know, he's more of, and, and Christian Coloco, who's obviously kind of getting brought up to speed as a rookie, but you know, Boucher specifically great player. He can stretch the floor, but he just gets bodied inside there. And, you know, both him and Coloco really slim guys. And, you know, they just have a tendency to get pushed around Pirtle, he he can also rim protect to you know to that same degree as them. Has some better length, has better size, and he's going to be able to push around the boards. So I mean that's a really good get for them. Uh, and they gave up two seconds to the Spurs as well. So Pirtle's value, you know, I know I think it could have been a little interchangeable depending on what the package was for him because of course Toronto literally just gave up a salary filler and Kim Birch. But um, you know we know it was at least a first round pick and almost a second round pick with those two seconds that were included as well. So I thought that that was very fair dollar amount for him. I was not displeased when I saw that notification pop across my screen. I was like, okay, sure. Uh, the Lakers won't obviously have my bats about, but it's been a crazy day in the NBA, Jaron. 
And obviously it gets topped off with, with this conclusion of Kevin Durant being traded to the Suns. I don't even know where to start with this other than obviously the Suns gave up a lot here. What do you think of Phoenix's roster as we proceed here within the ensuing months up until the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, Phoenix automatically elevates themselves. I, in my eyes, I think they're the automatic one seed just because of that starting five alone, whether it's Torrey Craig or TJ Warren starting. Um, either way, like I said, that's the, that's the number one team in the West. Um, now you look on the bench and they're really not strong at all, but they can still make moves. Um not big moves at all. Like they can, it would have to be on the buyer or the, uh, the buyout market. It would have to be, well, they can trade some seconds maybe. And yeah, they, I think they have some seconds. Um, they they do not have a lot of flexibility with their salaries at the moment. Yeah, I know that their salaries and everything, but I think that they can go with the buyout market. And I think that they can use those seconds to sort of expand, uh, I guess their talks, but nonetheless, you know, that team's be, that team becomes, an elevated first seed without a discussion in my eyes. Um, and I, I think if you're the the sort of contenders in the West, it's now how do you scramble and get, get elevated enough into those talks or how do you match what Phoenix did? Uh, and that's teams like Memphis, New Orleans, Dallas, um, and I guess Denver. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, I, I mean, this, I, I think this was one where, like I, in my eyes, you'd have to give up an Aiton. You'd have to give up a Chris Paul, including McCall Bridges. But you only had to give up one of those guys. And, of course, they give up, like, their whole bench. Uh, but needless to say, like, that that team's insane. That starting five is insane. That team is top-heavy. Uh, but at that point, like, you can risk having 10 minutes of none of those guys playing and still outscore your opponent by 30 points by the end of the game. Like, that. that's just an incredible roster. Uh, or not even a roster, but that's a credible starting five. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see it. I think it'll be fun and watching in a playoff series. Hopefully it's not against Dallas and hopefully it is against Dallas. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, but yeah, it's, (laughs) it's insane. No. Yeah. And I mean, to your point about just the, you know, diversification of how they're going to be able to put the ball in the basket. Like it, it honestly doesn't even matter if, they don't have a bench at points because they just have so much offensive creation from those three. And then whatever Aiton gives you, if he's having a good game, you know, stretching the floor a little bit and, you know, having a good post-up game, for instance, I mean, that just amplifies to the effect. I don't even know exactly where I would place them among the West rankings, but they're definitely up there for sure. And as far as the Mavericks go and the implications with them in this instance, I think that, it wouldn't have necessarily been excusable if the Mavericks didn't do anything before. Like if they just went into the deadline, having only done this Kyrie move the second that that two, 2 PM central time, you know, strikes the clock and what have you, I don't think it would have been excusable. And I think a lot of people would have been disgruntled, but you know, I don't know if they would have necessarily been lining up with pitchforks outside the American Airlines center at this point with the things that have, you know, emanated out of the Lakers and Suns organizations I mean, the Mavericks have to do something. Even if Nico Harrison or Mark Cuban were in a position before this, somehow, somehow unbeknownst to me, if they were in a position beforehand that they were like, you know, look here. um, I think we want to use these last 25 or so games as a litmus test, go into the off season, maybe try to upgrade around the draft and free agency. You know, we've, we've emptied the tank with this Kyrie, Kyrie thing. 
I don't really know how much farther we want to get. Even if they were in that line of thinking, they can't be now. They have to go all in because, I mean, they're, they're just setting themselves up for failure at this point. Yeah. If um, Because, I mean, they're not competing with the, the Suns with this current roster. And we're going to get into how good the game was tonight and whatever and everything and all the things of that sort and all the positives, you know, coming out of the Mavericks, of course. But this is just an unprecedented move that struck the NBA at, you know, just – roughly about 14 hours before trade trade deadline. And I mean, there was no sort of any, you know, preconceived notion that this was going to happen. There was obviously, you know, a little small talk about Kevin Durant talking with the Nets brass about potentially moving on after the whole Kyrie situation and everything. But it seemed as if it was more just, you know, talking out organizational directives and things about things of that nature. It it seemed like he was going to play out the rest of the season. I mean, who who even knows what the Nets are going to do at this point. They just have a, conglomerate of three and D wings with absolutely like nothing to do with them. Just spearheaded by Cam Thomas, who, well, I guess if he's playing at that, this level for the rest (laughs) of the season, they'll be fine. But I mean, it's just a crazy situation, man. And just, you know, it it hit us like a bat out of hell when he got traded to the Suns here at like 1230 or whatever it was. And here we are. And the Mavericks are about 12 hours away almost. And, I mean, I mean, they are in a position, as are many teams in the West, where they're probably everybody's looking at how they can improve marginally. You know, even Minnesota, you know, they they tend to their their point guard situation today by getting, you know, Mike Conley, for instance, a guy who is going to be a little more synchronized with their offense and not demand as much touches and can set things up a little bit. Well, the Lakers, they tended to their situation today um, to an extent with, you know, adding Beasley and. Um, D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt and, you know, adding some shooting and defense and playmaking, you know, all the above. Right. And obviously the Mavs with Kyrie, but, you know, and there's obviously some teams that have yet to make any moves, but I, I think that this forces the issue for teams that have made moves and teams that haven't made moves to need to, that they need to make Go moves. Make moves. Yeah. And, and as far as the sun's concerned, you know, they're going to be players on the buyout market and they may be able to do some different things in trades the West is, is getting rowdy. I mean, it's, it's primed to, to take over the East after it finally seemed as if the East was better for a year, but I mean, this is crazy. Even if things don't uh, necessarily pan out record wise there, I mean, I don't know who would have expected this sort of mid season turnaround and, you know, much less Kevin Durant getting shifted in what I think is probably the craziest trade deadline ever. And we haven't even hit the prime of it yet, which honestly what's going to start in the morning when we're going to start seeing the trades just really pour in, you know, even if it, they're the minor ones, you know, I'm sure we'll see upwards of 10, 15, 20 trades tomorrow. So, I mean, it, it's an insane situation, Jaron. Lastly, I just want to get your perspective specifically on what the implications are for the Mavericks in this instance, because we've obviously covered, you know, this Kevin Durant, you know, trade value. We are on a Phoenix Suns podcast. We're not going to get into the fit and everything. I mean, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, I yeah. think, just from an NBA fan perspective. But what are, what are the implications for the Mavericks? You know, I've talked about how all the teams in the West are are kind of lining up to try and do something. What do the Mavericks have to do? And what is the increased sense of urgency now compared to really just three hours before this? Yeah, I mean, I was under the assumption that the Mavericks needed to make a move post-Kyrie trade. Um, And post-Kevin Durant trade, the Mavericks need to make a trade just as more. Uh, I guess... They like it becomes urgent that they make a trade, um, whether it be right before deadline or heck, even 10 minutes from now. 
Um, they need to be dialing the phones, whoever it is, Clippers or Clippers or Brooklyn would be my ideal, ideal situation because of the three and D wings that they hold. Um, but to get into sort of what the Mavericks need is, you know, that, that coveted three and D wing. I know, I think it was like an hour ago. Um, I think it was Shams. He reported that, you know, Brooklyn was actively looking for calls for Jay Crowder, uh, who of course was recently traded in that Kevin Durant trade. Um, and I mean, that's a guy that you have to eye. That's a guy, that's a team that you have to eye first off. Um, but that's a guy that you have to kind of look at. And I'm not saying, you know, Crowder's the fit. Crowder is the guy, but heck to, to solve your three and D wing, to have him be your third wing off the bench. Like that's honestly all you can like, that's, that's a good need. Um, and secondly, of course, is a rim protector, a defensive center, however you want to add or however you want to word it. Um, the Mavericks just need a center in general. Um, you know, Dwight Powell can do so many things, but, you know, being a center of big size and being rim protector is not one of those. Um, and that's something that the Mavericks need. And I think there's really only one guy on the block now that can do that. And that's no one's Noel. Um, how can you pry him out of De- Detroit? I don't think it'll take much. Uh, you just have to find a foul. Uh, you have to find a salary filler um, with Dwight Powell. And I mean, you know, that's a straight up swap that you can talk about. But yeah, I mean, there's a list of names that you can go across between, you know, wings. And I think there's really a small margin of um, a small margin of change or not change, but a small margin of like centers across the board that you can really pick from. Um, And I I just think the Mavericks, I mean, the need was huge. And now the need is much more vast to going to getting or going to be able to get uh, either a wing or a center. And to me, you know, I think the Mavericks post Kyrie trade probably could have just lived with one or the other. Now they need to go get both. Um, how do you do that? That's something that the front office works out. I thought the Yaka Pertle, Josh Richardson trade that we proposed two nights ago, I thought that would be a good sort of even base uh, trade for both of those positions. But, you know, Yaka Pertle just recently traded out. So that's clearly not going to happen. And I think other than that, you're going to have to make two separate trades. I don't really see a team that's willing to deal both a wing and a center. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a few guys that I not necessarily, you know, this is, it's too late in the process to go through mock trades and the like, but there's, there's definitely a short sort of fail safe contingency list that I had backed up um, just in case, you know, we were going to mention a few guys tonight. And I think with the Kevin Durant thing, it's like extremely warranted in this scenario. And, you know, I would I would honestly push back a little bit. I mean, to your point, there are definitely not many centers slash rim protectors slash, you know, bigs that are able to defend in space. But there I do think there's a couple guys more so than Nerlens that I want to get into. And I just want to mention these names. I'm not necessarily saying the Mavericks could do anything, but these are just names before. If you guys are listening to this in the morning that I could see them, I could see some sort of thing happening. So starting with the bigs. Okay. Obviously, Nerlens, so he's going to be first. We have Nas Reed still. And lastly, if there's any sort of play there with Orlando, I could see maybe Bomba getting shifted or shipped off. In terms of the wings, you know, we obviously have Gary Harris who could maybe be at play. Um, Jonathan Isaac. Orlando obviously has this weird sort of log jam there. We're going to get into this in the podcast, but I do think to an extent that the need for a third ball handler is definitely dwindling down, especially via trade. Like if you want to address that position via the buyout market, then, you know, sure, go ahead. And I, I 
not saying that that is just a complete I'm not saying that there's just no vacancy there and that Jaden Hardy and McKinley Wright have completely filled that void. But I do think to an extent them together, not, not either one of them by themselves can definitely along with Josh Green and what his emergence as a sort of pseudo playmaker, just from his ability to attack and create offense for himself in certain scenarios that we've really seen uh, sort of start to precipitate over the last like two weeks. With those factors taken into consideration, I have sort of an, especially with Kyrie, as good as he is, I have a sort of increased confidence that the third ball handler thing just isn't as important anymore, me personally. I, no, I'm, I completely good. agree. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's not a need at all, but at this juncture, you you need defense, especially with how the West is stacking up regardless. And, you need to go get a wing defender. You need to go get a rim protector. All, all of the above. That that needs to be the number one priority for a ball handler. And there have obviously been some propositions and a lot of rumors going on. A lot of rumors going on today, like Christian Wood for Reggie Jackson swap. That was a thing. Um, and you know, I, I just even in a scenario if Christian Wood's value is lower than you know we may have necessarily thought it was. Or, you know, we have to sell him for pennies on the dollar just because he's not going to sign an extension, whatever the case may be. They still cannot um, – they still cannot basically withstand trading him for a ball handler, in my opinion, not getting any sort of defense back. I mean, I, I just think that that makes his team worse effectively than even having him here. So there's a lot of different things they could do. You know, I mentioned those, those bigs, I mentioned Isaac, he's obviously a buy low guy that if he were to get back to any sort of rendition of himself two years ago, and it seems like he's kind of working towards that, but he's just not quite there yet. Then that would be an insane piece to add to this team. But, you know, you're obviously taking a bet there. I don't know what exactly he cost. Um, Looking at some other names, maybe we got, um, you know, Obviously, Josh Hart was shipped out today. And joins his yeah. joins Jalen Brunson, but some other wings out there on the market at the moment. I mean, you can go anywhere on the Clippers roster. You can go Rocco. Um, I, I know Luke Kennard's name has been mentioned a little bit. He's not defensive oriented, but it just kind of depends on which way you want to lean. Um, Jay Crowder, of course, we mentioned that. Um. Yeah, I obviously, think there's a handful of others, but yeah, you know, obviously Gary Harris and the Magic, of course. And you know, regarding the Nets, like who knows if they're even going to be willing to ship off any of those. Like, I don't see them trading Dorian, Cameron Johnson, or Mikael Bridges. I know everybody is trying to say that they're they're about to sell the bag and everything, but I mean there's there's still a certain value that those guys hold that they're not just gonna share off just because even if they are in tank mode. Um there's a few different guys. Uh, Grant Williams recently is kind of there's some credence to the him not maybe being able to agree to a contract with the summer over the Celtics because he really wants to get paid. That would be an insane grab. Obviously, there was a rumor that just dissipated um, post KD. I mean, KD trade that OG and Anobi is um, looking to get moved by the Ra- Raptors. Like I just previously mentioned, and that that's kind of bewildering because of their their whole going out to get Pirtle and everything. So I don't really know what's happening there, but 
there, there's a plethora of wings still available on the market. I mean, in all technicality, like Josh Richardson is still available for a buy low if you want to go get another guy. And, uh, you know, obviously one of my favorites out there that's a buy low, obviously not a shooter, but he would still be able to do a lot for this team is Matisse Thibel. And you could definitely get him in tandem with another guy, a big or something of that ilk. And, you know, still have a very, you know, very solid trade deadline that, you know, definitely gears you up to, you know, spearhead your roster uh, against some of the better teams in the West and, you know, really go to battle here. There's a lot of different things that could happen within this last 12 hours, but time is of the essence. And, you know, in terms of the guys that the Mavericks have that could potentially be on the block, I definitely probably look more to Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christian Wood at this point. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. just because of the kind of nature of his contract, how it's descending. And, you know, even if he is a quote-unquote negative asset, a lot of teams could use shooting. The way Reggie Bullock's playing recently makes it tough to part ways. I, I just – I feel as if the Mavericks probably won't do that unless there's some sort of play where they would be getting more in return than what they're shipping out. Um, definitely not any sort of consolidation with the Reggie Bullock thing, like they would trade him for a rim protector or anything like that. I I think with Dorian's departure, his, his wing defense becomes – too invaluable and he's actually been defending a lot better as of recent than he was at the beginning of the season. And, and I mean, and that kind of leaves you with Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway Jr. And we've obviously talked at nauseum about the Christian Wood situation. We want him to stay. Like we, we do think that the best equipped situation, you know, idealistically was if he could agree to an extension with the Mavericks and, you know, they could pair him with a rim protector, but not everything in that department is necessarily just tailor-made to come into fruition it's not it's not a guarantee or anything like that and if they're you know if they have to give him up in the consolidation to go get a rim protector um, in that process or they're just unable to agree to an extension there's just too much of a wary future in terms of if he's going to be back with this team this summer I, I know it's to a lesser extent but they don't want to repeat it the Brunson situation in my opinion I mean I know a lot of people on Twitter have alluded to potentially just waiting it out and seeing how he does and then trying to re-sign him at that point at a higher dollar amount, depending on how he fares in the playoffs and just basically playing it by ear. And I mean, I, I get it's not as severe as the Brunson situation in that department, but I just don't know if this team has necessarily been reputable, you know, despite some of the great trades they made, but specifically in free agency for us to give them the benefit of the doubt in that scenario for them to handle that situation properly and, you know, either facilitate a signing trade or figure out, you know, what the right decision is to either sign him or let him go. And I mean, I, I obviously love the guy and I've, I've loved, you know, our, his brief stint here, if this is all it is, but, you know, there's been two games since he come back, he's came back from the stump injury and he's kind of been relegated to a very small role in the rotation. He struggled in these last two games, but obviously he's come back from injury. So, you know, I don't want to hold too much weight into that, but it, definitely you know warrants the discussion like do they is he on the trade block you know what what's happening there you know there was a report that they just trade him straight up for Reggie Bullock which actually isn't even applicable through the trade machine so they'd have to open that up at least a little bit but Jaron who do you think Reggie Jackson Reggie Jackson Jackson. yeah I I (laughs) bluffed on that um but you know and then on the other hand you have Davis Bertans and his contract is 
you know, just really hard to move. And with the Mavericks not having their full arsenal of picks, you know, I, I do think that they could probably just get better return if they just let Davis stay. And they, you know, a first and 10 is going to net you more than a first and Davis and they're very similar salaries. And, you know, obviously Christian Wood, whatever you can get for him, you just go get maybe trade a second. But I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel as if those two are the guys to be traded. I know Tim had a solid game tonight and hit a dagger at the end. But if the Mavericks are going to make moves within the next 12 or so hours, maybe them. And then I guess just for all intensive purposes, just because a lot of guys are in that 10 to $12 million range, maybe Dwight Powell. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that he is near having as high of a chance to get traded as those other two guys. Who do you think is on the horizon for the Mavericks as they, if they are to make a trade, which we, I would hope, you know, I'd hopefully certain, I'd certainly hopefully, yeah, oh my gosh, I would certainly hope that they do. Um, who do you think is on the horizon for the Mavericks in this instance, as they try to gear up to go against a potentially loaded West and a newly formed Kevin Durant injected Suns team? Yeah, I think, I mean, basically all of what you mentioned, I think Christian Wood, I think Tim Hardaway Jr. are the two guys that you have to put on the trade block at that point. Um, I don't think I'm as high as, I don't think I'm as as high as you on terms of Christian Wood. Um, Definitely pairing up, pairing him up with a rim protector would be the most ideal. But again, you know, that's not what we've seen. Um, And, you know, it would be cool to see, uh, but unfortunately I don't think we will get to see it. I think Christian Wood is probably the best name that you can trade. I think he's got the most value um, now, especially because he's an expiring. But nonetheless, I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr., of course, he has that sort of enticing contract with the declining money um, situation that he has, I think, for the next, is it two or three years? Um, Uh, Yeah, it's like two or three years. But, I mean, the craziest part about it is, like, both of these guys in terms of all the smoke that's coming out between Stein and McMahon and everything is, like, these guys are just not holding that much value whatsoever. No, and they're not. Hardaway or Wood. And the sort of consensus with Wood is because, you know, obviously he's not a defensive inclined center, even though he has some some flashes at points in terms of being able to, you know, guard guards and wings in space. And then obviously we know Tim just the, he, he reeks of inconsistency and terrible defense. And, you know, obviously he'll have his games like tonight where he fared well, but conversely, you know, you have the bad shooting nights and the defense is always just, you know, basically a, a rotating door to um, a sort of segue to the rim that he's exactly basically exactly. giving to any defender. So it, it's just crazy to see it. I mean, I don't know. Like, I would think that these guys hold a little more value, but clearly not around the league in terms of what it seems. So you're definitely going to have to probably at, attach whatever sort sort of draft capital you have in aggregate with those guys just to get off some of these contracts to see where things go. But it, it's a sticky situation that they're in, and but. I don't know. I, I think that they truly do have to empty the tank in any sort of capacity to to get another wing, to get another rim protector at the very least. I mean, maybe even two wings, because what went on today with this whole K, KD thing, I mean, it it's a call to action for every team in the West. And the Mavericks have to step up to that call, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Um, yeah, I think, unfortunately, the guys that are probably on the outs are, again, Tim Hardaway and Christian Wood. Uh, what you can do with that, very little. Uh, but the Mavericks, like you said, are going to have to touch whatever draft capital they can uh, to entice any of the teams that are selling. Uh, and, I mean, wing depth is at of at most importance for this team, and especially defense. Uh, and 
that's something that is very far and few for this Mavericks roster. But, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting these next, like, yeah. 12 months. I mean, this is the defense is very far and few between, but the Mavericks did have a decent defensive game. No, they did. They did. We'll be getting into that here in a second. But, yeah, this, this Kevin Durant trade stuff, guys, I mean, it's crazy. It's late. Uh, but trust me, you know, even if we appear a little bit monotone or – potentially just um you know sort of dry or whatever you want to label it we we are just in complete and utter shock and we are basically just nba drugged up right now yeah. for lack of a better term with the amount of stuff that's going on i i simply just can't process this i i'm trying to give you guys the best real-time coverage of my thoughts on everything but the way all this is unfolding so fast, guys, I mean, we didn't even plan on ta- having this segment in the podcast since, you know, gone this far before we've even gotten to the game yet, and it, it's just insane. So it's insane, guys, to say the least, and I'm really excited to see what happens within the next 12 hours. You know, we mentioned a few names. I'm sure there's still some other guys that we have yet to touch on, but those are a few key guys that I could see the Mavericks kind of dipping into, but, I mean, it, this is – Definitely one of the best times to be a fan in the NBA, to say the absolute least. And at this point, I guess we'll just go ahead and cover the post-game podcast. Stay tuned. I'm definitely sure that we'll be we'll podcast tomorrow, trade or not. Don't worry. You know, just obviously it'll be more of a rant if they don't make a trade. But we'll be back tomorrow for you guys. But nonetheless, um, we're going to get into this Mavericks versus Clippers post-game reaction after we, of course, cover this unprecedented, um, un- you know, unhinged Kevin Durant news that just seemingly came out of left field. But we're going to go ahead and get into this game now. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, so getting into the actual game at play here today, Jaron, we have Kyrie Irving's debut where the Mavericks beat the Clippers 110 to 104. What were your first impressions from Kyrie? Let's just start off within that first quarter, just in terms of how he operated Within the flow of the Mavericks offense, of course, no Luka, so we don't necessarily have the litmus test there to compare what his you know, game-to-game fit is going to be like and his fit with Doncic, which is definitely paramount to this team's success. And, and I'm sure, you know, I think we're all of the opinion that that is not – maybe it won't be seamless at first, but it'll definitely be a splendid fit once it comes into fruition. But Kyrie obviously carrying the Mavericks solo tonight – as Lucas still isn't about with his little heel contusion thing, but it does seem like that is going to be mended within the next game or two. It doesn't seem like Luca's going to be out uh, too much longer and that they will be able to pair up for their first game together. But just in this one specifically, Jaron, how did you think Kyrie operated within the flow of the offense? I mean, to be quite frank, he was the flow of the offense, at least in that first quarter. Um, the offense was really driven purely off of him um, just to sort of track it like, just the sort of traction that he brought, um, I think definitely mended sort of what we saw in that first quarter. Um, and it was a lot of kick out threes to Reggie Bullock in particular. Um, Reggie at one point was four for four at threes or on threes um, on the night. Five five. Yeah. Oh, it was five for five. Okay. I couldn't remember if it got out of the way to five, five, but yeah, at, at one point he was five for five. Um, and I want to say it was all in the first quarter. Um, and I mean, it just looked, it looked clean. Um I, I think we can say this with confidence. We've never seen all five guys work in rhythm like that at one point in this season. 
um, at least as smoothly as that looked. Now, I know that the Mavericks were making pretty much every one of their shots and the, the Clippers were missing every single one of their shots, uh, but it looked nice. It looked nice. Um, it looked really fun. Or it, not, not that it looked fun, but it was fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, you could tell a lot of guys were having fun out there. But, um, I mean, even I, th- I think the only guy that didn't look through, at least in that first quarter, was just kind of like off was Tim Hardaway. Uh, but the White Powell looked really good. Of course, Kyrie looked amazing. Reggie Bullock, amazing. Josh Green, amazing. Like the, those are the guys that you wanted to see um, play really good, and they did. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Kyrie is just. Have we ever seen a guy with such athleticism and such dribble, even a, just a dribble package, um, at which he can get inside the paint and just will his way simply by shiftiness um, to get across a screen? Like we've never seen this in a Mavericks uniform, and it's incredible to see. Like, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't really the biggest Kyrie fan, uh, of course, pre-trade. And now that he's here, um, I'm ready to witness the Kyrie trade. He bought trade. in until something, yeah, until something negative. bad off the court. <laughs> yeah, I definitely um, get what you're saying. Um, just the dexterity that he's able to operate with in terms of how shifty he was, as you alluded to, especially in those pick-and-roll scenarios, but, you know, not just them, but, you know, especially in transition. Um, he, he just comes up the court and he's able to stop on a dime just so fast and pull it back, snatch back. He has such a diversification of his offensive game. I mean, he truly is the definition of a three-level score um, and a score that can affect the game from all facets, whether it be his ability to move without the ball or having the ball in his hands. And, I mean, just the ability to hang in the air. Like, we can get into all the sort of – you know, and, and I know when you said athleticism, you weren't necessarily alluding to like just, oh, like he's like a Vince Carter type, but you were more so talking about um, how synchronized his athleticism is in terms of his skill, like how he's able to hang on some of these layups. I mean, he, he makes some unprecedentedly tough shots, but what I was most impressed by, because I think we've all, you know, seen all the Kylie, Kyrie head highlights and things of that nature. We've watched games with Kyrie, but I think what really kind of just took me aback as I honed in on him, you know, I've watched Kyrie before, you know, playing the Mavericks and other teams, of course, but just the way in which he operated off ball was, was really shocking to me because the the manners that the Mavericks used him in. And and I think that they'll still do this with Luca. I mean, he was used as a screener. A lot of the time he was used to come off curl offs um, off down screens. He had down, uh, he had back screens set for him to where, he would, you know, juke and then uh, misdirect to another scenario or to another location on the floor. He did a lot of relocation stuff, um, especially moving without the ball. He had a lot of DHO action. He was an expertite. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, he was an expertite at being able to snake in the pick and roll. Just the way, you know, he was in he's really good at crabbing in the pick and roll getting a defender on his hip in fact that that was how he got that foul call called on him uh late in the game i believe it was terrence man where the Clippers challenge it yeah uh he's really good at crabbing um he just has i mean the staggers that they run with him um just there's there's so many different offensive things that have emanated out of his existence here i mean when you bring luca into the equation you have the potential to even open up so much more. I mean, you can use them to screen for each other to open things up, which could be huge. Um, you could potentially even dive into split action with Luca in the post. 
I, you know, we had talked at nauseum about this sort of offensive fit that Kyrie would have on this team, but I guess I just didn't necessarily see how diversified they would be able to use him. Like Jay kids already like throwing the kitchen sink out there and using him in every which way. And I can really appreciate that as a fan. And it, you know, maybe he didn't have the ball in his hands for certain stretches as much I'd like as I'd like tonight, um, you know, as he's kind of getting adjusted to things. But, you know, that's that's to be expected. But when he did, I mean, the actions that they ran through him were were really, I mean, just for lack of a better term, um, they were really effective. And I'm very excited to see how they incorporate Luca into all those actions because it, it was a sort of just interjection of offensive versatility that this Mavericks team just doesn't have from a playmaking, a, in a skill perspective, the things and the plays that he can open up for this team. Uh, I don't think the Mavericks have ever had it within the history of their team. I mean, the only even comp that I can think of would be a Monte Ellis, uh, you know, just with the, the DHOs and the misdirections, but even then it wasn't to the degree that, you know, Kyrie's doing it because he's doing he's a tenfold better shooter and you know the transition offense wasn't you know as um synchronized I I don't know it it was just definitely one of the more eye-opening performances I'd seen even if it necessarily even if he's just you know just getting acclimated to the team yeah you know the Clippers are a team that historically has gotten better has gotten the better of the Mavs um, and just inserting Kyrie. And I know they didn't have Luca, um, but just inserting Kyrie just opened up such a vast array of different things that you could do within the offense. Uh, and it looked, it, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like it looked like he had been on this team for a while uh, at times. It just, it, it, I mean, I know it's basketball at the end of the day, but these guys, they, I mean, they just clicked so well at times. At times, it looked a little rough, especially, you know, into that second quarter, of course, and then I think more so the third quarter. Um, but just the sort of actions that you can run with Luca, and I know we're, we have to dream right now. We have to dream about it because we haven't seen it yet. Um, but the the drawing that Kyrie brought, he brought double teams a lot, and that's because the Clippers kind of had to. Um, you know, whenever Luca has the ball in his hand, he draws such an attention that you have to double team. Well, in this scenario, you can't. Like you can't double team him whenever Kyrie's on the floor. You just simply can't. Um, yeah. There's just too much to do um, when you do that. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how teams scheme uh, whenever Kyrie and Luke go on the floor at the same time, uh, because Luke has dominated this year. Uh, and it doesn't even really matter uh, like sort of what sort of defense scheme is put on him. The only team or the only one that really has is the double. And that's the only one that's really sort of affected this Mavericks offense and, you know, inserting Kyrie just being out on the floor is such an attention drawer that you can't double team. Um, and I, in terms of this game, uh, I mean, that was just put on full display of how much of a talent he is and sort of the packages that he can use just on an, a minute basis to get around the defense on a, you know, DHO or curl off or whatever it is like the foot speed on him and the dribble, is just so quick that no one can compete with that foot for foot. Like the way he was able to get to the rim half the time was just purely off of Dwight Powell's screen, which Dwight Powell's not the strongest screener. Um, and I mean, it was, it was beautiful to watch. Like that, that's a guy who 
can play basketball. And I mean, we knew this coming in, but that was my first, I guess, like full display of wow, Kyrie's a maverick and wow, this guy's incredible. So, yeah, no, I mean, he's literally the definition of a basketball savant in which just how savvy he is and the way he manipulates the game. It's, it's, it's like actually like beautiful to watch. I mean, I, we haven't even, you know, really delved into the ways that they could use both of them. Um, when Luca gets doubled on those double, you know, the Mavericks run a double drag um, scheme, you know, out of, and then Kyrie can be an outlet in the four on three scenario. Luca can be an outlet in the four on three scenario. Just, I mean, imagine the passing that they can do out of that, do out of that, you know, versus having to use Josh or one of the centers. I mean, it'll just amplify the effectiveness of those scenarios tenfold. And even to speak to Kyrie's passing, I mean, you know, one of the things that I was definitely shocked at just from a playmaking perspective that I don't think I'd ever really noticed from him having, you know, obviously watched him before, but not to the degree of, you know, really studying all his movements was his ability to forecast the the next play to, to make the hockey assist. Essentially. He, he I didn't realize how good of a ball mover he was. Uh, we had, we kind of talked about Spencer a lot on this podcast about him being a good ball mover. And that was, you know, one of our, more, uh, I guess, better traits that we denoted to him in terms of his playmaking. You know, we always talked about, you know, his lack of ability to make an entry pass and how he couldn't throw lobs. But we always talked about how he was like a really good, you know, just getting the offense going and, you know, passing the ball to the point of attack to get things generated or if not doing that, you know, passing it or cutting, you know, not cutting, but driving to the middle of the lane to, you know, then hit the corners, things of that nature. And I mean, Kyrie does that to another level of effectiveness. And, you know, he obviously doesn't have the sort of wherewithal that Luca does having that six, seven frame to be able to just see over, over everybody and make like every single pass in the world. Um, but for what he is limited to, and especially in transition, he's a very willing and able passer. Um, he had a really clean behind the back pass to Josh Green tonight that I, I think Josh ended up having to, kind of pass back out because he found himself too far under the rim. But I mean, he, he is a actually like a very talented passer and he, I don't know if there's ever been some sort of rap, um, rap in his career that, you know, he's too selfish or what have you, you know, and I know he's only around that like five or six assist mark a game, but it, it definitely is not indicative of the overarching effect that he has on playmaking uh, just from his perspective, uh, just from the perspective of how he's able to get the offense going and, you know, to generate those possessions and get guys in the right place and to, you know, you know, facilitate that whole process where he may not specifically be making the exact assist, but he'll get a, the ball to a guy in the short roll or a guy to the corner who then drives. And, you know, he, he sees things ahead of time, which is really fun to watch in my opinion. Um, Next up, like, what did you think of how he played defensively? Because I obviously knew he was a decent defender going into this, having watched him before. But um, the way he played defensively tonight, I mean, it's just night and day difference from from Dinwiddie, I guess, is if we're comparing him to him, you know, as the the playmaker and ball handler that we lose in this trade and the one that we gain in Kyrie, of course, after losing Dinwiddie. Uh, Kyrie is actually a very capable defender, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, I would even elevate him to the status of, you know, maybe not elite, but he's a good defender. And I was really intrigued by that. And it may not be the most compelling narrative to 
sort of take lead with as you know we come out of this game but I, I do think it was one of my biggest takeaways what do you think of it uh, I mean I was honestly taken away by the sort of level at defense uh, just the the effort level that he played with I know uh it was his first game in a Mavericks uniform like there's a lot to prove um but even still just to give that much effort on a basis or not even on a basis, but on the defensive side of things, uh, there was a lot of possessions where he was lined up one-on-one with Paul George or Kawhi or whoever it was. And he was able to get a hand in their face as the jump shot was put in. Um, and I mean, that's just tell tall or like, that's just telling of, you know, what kind of defender he is. Um, I didn't really get to see him, or at least I wasn't paying too much attention within like his systematic defense. Um, and of course, of course, that's going to be something that just comes along uh, with as he plays more and more uh, in a Mavericks uniform, but even still, I mean, just being able to see him guard up one-on-one uh, was honestly really pretty, um, and he was able to do it really efficiently, honestly, and there wasn't really, uh, if there wasn't even, or if there was even was any times at which he was blown past, I really don't think there was, but um, I mean, there was maybe a handful of possessions, but that's just being in the system, knowing the system, and that's something that he hasn't gotten too accustomed to uh, these last few uh, few days. Um, of being in practice but uh, I mean just being one up and you know one-on-one guarding a guy he, I, he really impressed me to be honest yeah I mean my one of my main takeaways was he how handsy he is I mean to your point you know you said he hasn't really obviously got the system ingrained in his head and you know they didn't like opt to play any zone or anything like that tonight but he's just really savvy and we already talked about how he's a basketball salon I mean that applies to both things you know just because he's only 6'2 or whatever doesn't mean that he's not a basketball savant defensively just because he doesn't have the tools or wherewithal to be able to affect the game as, you know, some other guys may on that end. I mean, he's still just as savvy. He averages a block and a steal a game. And, I mean, he affected the game accordingly in that aspect. He had a – I mean, he had that one steal on Marcus Morris where he just kept applying pressure and was able to poke the ball out of him right as he made, you know, his transition to like a post spin. And he was just constantly um, active on that side of things. And that was really cool to see. And he's a great rebounder too. He's always going up at the, um, you know, at that, that point of emphasis when the ball's up in the air and, you know, there's a sort of, um, there's a sort of uh, that we've kind of talked about that as that uh, just sort of wandering moment in an NBA game when that ball's up in the air and you have no clue exactly what's going to happen. I mean, Kyrie goes up and grabs it. And he pushes the tempo accordingly. And that's going to be really fun to see how much they're able to run. I mean, they put – this is like one of the fastest games. I mean, this and the Jazz game that the Mavericks played tonight where they just push the tempo. You know, obviously not having Luka out there helps. But having Kyrie, you know, that's that's a definitely a stark difference from just a non-Luka game where, you, you know, oh, the tran- you know the tempo increases for one game because – you're having more Josh Green and Jaden Hardy possessions because Luca's not out there or whatever, but like Kyrie's going to be out there all the time. He's going to be pushing the tempo regardless if, you know, Luca gets left behind a little, it's not going to really matter. I mean, he's going to push the tempo in open court scenarios when he deems it applicable and it's going to benefit the Mavericks. And I mean, he has the presence of mind to like even pull up for threes in those scenarios. He's a willing passer. Um, he seemingly makes the right read in the open court almost every time. And I mean, he's just so savvy in that aspect, and it, it was really a pleasure to watch. And I think it'll get Luca running some, a little more too. But I, I just loved how committed he is to this team and just all the aspects of it. Um, you know, everything aside, he had a great post game interview because the KD trade actually happened during his post game presser. 
uh, to which his first response was, you know, can we talk about us? Can we talk about winning? And, you know, I'm we, Kyrie's, you know, track record in the media is, is well noted. But I mean, for me specifically, I, I just felt like that was very emblematic of a guy who's very concerned on winning and very concerned on his team. And I mean, he just seemed like he was having a great time out there. He was encouraging Jaden Hardy when he was out there getting his. He was encouraging all his teammates. Um, he, you know, he had a fun like dap up with Theo Pinson after they won. You know, he said in his post-game interview with ESPN, he gave like a peace out. He was all happy. I mean, it, it was just a it was a jovial night to say the least, Jaron. And I mean, I, that's as much as I can surmise out of Kyrie's debut, but it, it was one where he affected the game at all levels and uh, some of the plays that he made tonight were were just truly a joy to watch. And I, I really like thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was honestly one of the most fun times I've had as a fan personally. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I would, I would second that. Yeah. This was one of those games that was kind of a must watch um, and it definitely delivered. Um, it, it was good vibes all around, but I wanted to speak a little bit just on the, the fact that, you know, the Mavericks, we know pretty confidently that they have the best half court offense with Luca. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but now they get one of the best guys that can push in transition. And we saw it firsthand tonight. We saw multiple times where, you know, the Mavericks went on a five on two or five on three and Luca would normally stop it and, you know, work his half court offense. And it, would, it would be an easy two at the end of the day. But this was one where multiple times in the game, five on threes were turned into easy transition points. Five on twos were turned into easy transition threes. Um, and that's all due to Kyrie and Josh Green, for that matter. Uh, in in doing so, Kyrie was looking more so at teammates than he was at the hoop. And I, I know that sort of hurt him one, one or two possessions. Uh, but I think that's just really telling of who he is and what kind of teammate he is. And he's not a guy that goes to look at the hoop whenever, you know, the second he gets a chance to do so. He's a guy that's going to find his teammates. And I know you mentioned that behind the back pass to Josh Green. Um, I don't think it resulted in anything, but even still just having the wherewithal to look uh, and find your guys open either in a corner three scenario or under the hoop or whatever it was, that, that was just really interesting to see and really beautiful to see because that's something we haven't seen um, all year and really for a long time. Uh, something we haven't been able to see. So I'm really interested to see what kind of offensive numbers jump just due to the sheer, I mean, heck, if we can even get, into the average numbers of in transition offense, like that would do this offense wonders, um, especially whenever Luca's off the floor. No, I completely concur with you on that. And I mean, aside from that, like one of the only negatives, I guess, tonight were maybe the five turnovers that he had. He definitely had a few bouts in terms of, you know, countering double teams a few times with those lengthy Clippers wing defenders. But, you know, I mean, obviously it's a rough team to go up against in your first game and they came out with the win still. And, I think a lot of that you can attribute to him not necessarily having the scheme down and some of the plays down. Like, I mean, it's, it's his first game in a uniform that he's doing all this. So I don't want to take too much credence to that, but I did want to acknowledge it that, but I mean, I do think that we've covered him quite a bit and I'm sure he'll, we'll bring up his name, you know, in this discussion um, as we go into the latter half of the podcast a little bit more, but let's definitely look at some other guys because I mean, obviously Kyrie had a, an amazing debut and, it was really a sight for sore eyes, but we obviously do need to get in some of these other guys, of course. You know, first off, the starters played really heavy minutes tonight in a game where Luca was out, and, you know, there's all this uncertainty about what's what's to come of the rotation. Mar uh, obviously, new Maverick Markeith Morris did not play tonight. 
you know, he maybe could have served to get some minutes tonight at that wing spot to release us, you know, some some of the wear and tear on Reggie and Tim and all those sort of guys and, and Josh, but he he didn't. Maybe it's just a sort of acclimation thing. You know, Kyrie, of course, he's he's going to play regardless. But I, I was inter- interested that they didn't throw him or AJ Lawson out into the fire a little bit, or they didn't even put Frank in there at all. I, I thought maybe one of those guys might see minutes tonight, but uh, the Mavericks leaned heavily on Theo Pinson off the bench, um, a few other guys. But, you know, I want to start with the starters because they all played heavy minutes. They all had double figures. They all had 35 or more minutes, except for Dwight Powell, who had 24. Um, you know, just to go top to bottom here, what did you think about the way in which everybody sort of played around Josh Green? We'll start particularly, you know, offensively with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reggie Bullock. And, and the way that they were sort of able to relocate off ball and you know use those down and back screens to their advantage I mean I I honestly thought that they they both did a a really good job filling in um, and playing their role as needed it almost seemed as if they had Luca out there with them except at a sort of faster tempo uh, with Kyrie sort of uh, catalyzing the offense there so what what did you think of their games tonight they both had pretty solid shooting nights of course Tim hitting that dagger late in the game to put the Mavericks up eight and kind of putting the Clippers away there after there was a little bit of, you know, uncertainty as the game was kind of going back and forth towards the latter half of that fourth quarter. So what did you think of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reggie Bullock's game tonight? Yeah, I mean, of course, Reggie had that an extremely hot start uh, to the game going five of five at one point. Um, he sort of cooled off as the game went along. He only finished with three, three more points out of that first quarter. Uh, but even still, the way that he was able to open up the floor, um, it kind of seemed like the the Clippers really up until the fourth quarter, whenever they started doubling Kyrie, uh, were really head focused on making sure Reggie wasn't open, uh, especially after that first quarter, which he put flames on. Um, and then Tim Hardaway, I mean, he was just kind of a steady shoot. Um, you know, he never had a hot moment. He never had like his usual quarter of shooting insane and then the other three quarters being nothing uh this was sort of a conglomerate of just steady shooting um and I, I think you know going seven of 16 from the field doesn't look like a lot but in the the fashion that in which he did it uh was just a steady rate and that's honestly all you can ask for out of Tim um in this fashion and yeah I mean Kyrie was just able to open up so many different options for those guys offensively uh the drive and kick game was huge and this one where Kyrie was driving or just creating off the dribble and, uh, you know, replacing their spots and replacing the the sort of gap in the around the arc was what Tim and Reggie did so well. And of course, Reggie, I mean, he does so well at just getting into the open corner. Um, and that's how he was able to find most of his points. But for Tim's sake, um, you know, just just sort of getting open and kind of creating off his own dribble, but off of another guy's pass is sort of how he did it. Um, I, I think it was really interesting to see uh, just how they sort of did it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of Tim, like I said, it was more of a just steady paced game, one that we haven't really seen this season uh, for him and for Reggie. Of course, he got off to that amazing hot start, but he definitely didn't he didn't cool off, uh, as I would say. But he, he he did his will and his due diligence on the defensive side of things. And I think that's why his game was really, really solid tonight. No, I completely agree with you there. Reggie, you know, obviously Tim, you know, had his usual saloon door-esque defensive style game. But Reggie, on the other hand, especially in this Jazz game, I mean, he's really turning the corner defensively, surprisingly. I mean, he's staying in front of guys. He he got into the passing lanes tonight. He was just doing a really good 
job ball denying Kawhi. I mean, this was probably the best defensive game he's played this season. And it, it was a pleasure to watch. And it almost made me want, want to take back any sort of inclusion of any fake trade that he was in at this point. But I mean, that's, that's kind of what we mentioned, what we did at the top of the pod when we were talking about that KD segment or the KD segment, because I mean, if, if Reggie's playing like this, like he, he's not near as expendable as we uh, sort of conceived, but I mean, who, who knows if this is going to persist, but I mean, he has a tendency to flip the script like this every, you know, sort of time this year. And I mean, he couldn't have picked a better time. This was one of his best games of the season, in my opinion, just from a shooting and a defensive aspect. I honestly think it was the best, like, no, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching him play tonight the way he was he was getting after it on both sides of the ball and especially against Paul George and Kawhi he was playing some tough tough one-on-one defense was barely getting blown by I mean this was this was just a, a drastically different effort uh this and the jazz game uh, sort of in tandem than we'd really seen for quite some time from him and it, it was a it was emblematic of you know peak 20 um 21 you know 2022 Reggie Bullock and it, it was a sight for sore eyes, you know, in regards to Tim, like he had a good shooting night and he had bad defense. I'm really happy he hit the dagger, but, you know, there's obviously a sort of, sort of uncertainty that looms in the air as we proceed forward in these, uh, in these next sort of 12 to 11 hours. But nonetheless, I, I thought he, I was really happy with how he played tonight and he, he did a good job filling in the gaps. And, you know, there were some times that the offense sort of came to a stalemate, you know, when Kyrie was out and things of that nature. And I mean, I think Tim did as good of he as as good of a jo- job as he could, you know, getting things going and at least trying to. You know, there was one at one time where he snaked a pick and roll and threw a lob pass to Dwight. Like he was doing some different things that he usually doesn't do, and uh, I I appreciated that from him because he he definitely stepped up to the plate in a, his own sort of weird roundabout way tonight. Uh, in regards so in regards to those guys, you know, I thought they both did a, a really good job shooting the ball tonight. And, everything of that nature. What did you think of Dwight Powell's game tonight? You know, obviously he played the most out of any Maverick big men tonight as Christian Wood still works on coming back from that, uh, that thumb fracture, I believe. But I mean, I thought Dwight Powell did decent in the short world tonight offensively. And, you know, he, he, he was given a lot of effort on the glass, even if he wasn't necessarily converting. It's a, it's a tall task to ask him to fend off Zubach, but I mean, I think he really did as good as he, he could have. And, you know, obviously he has his bouts in terms of being able to defend in the Mavericks, you know, heavy switch and uh, scram switch scheme. But, uh, I mean, he wasn't really necessarily getting blown by a lot. And there were even a few times where I thought he actually played decent defense. So this is one of those games where it's just like, man, like that dude just empties the tank in terms of his effort. What did you have to think of Dwight Powell's game tonight and um, Kyrie's debut? Yeah, I was honestly really impressed with Dwight Powell. Um, I mean – this is sort of a fit that I think would come natural is Kyrie and sort of a, a rim rolling big. Uh, and that's what we saw, you know, with Dick Claxton and numerous other names, but uh, this is sort of a fit that I thought would be kind of seamless. Um, but I was, I was really honestly impressed with Dwight Powell. I mean, he finished with 10 points and like six rebounds and those were all effort rebounds. Um, and I like what you alluded to, like he may not have had the most amount of boards or anything like that, or everything that he did didn't amount into a stat, uh, but he was able to uh, make an effect and sort of, I mean, he only played like 23 minutes, I think in this one, 23 or 24 minutes. Uh, and he was just sort of mirroring uh, those Zubots minutes. And that's anytime they play the Clippers, that's kind of what he's used for. Uh, but he did a lot more than I think just mirroring Zubots and like seemingly blocking out Zubots. Um, I think he did a lot more in that. Uh, there was times on defense, you know, like you said, he had some good defensive possessions and he really did. 
Um, but there was times on defense where, you know, it'd be Kawhi coming off a screen. Uh, and I wish Dwight Powell probably would have stepped up a little more, at least yeah, a little harder. I mean, that's always a prevalent issue with yeah. him is the, the inability to defend the pick and roll. But, you know, conversely, his foot speed and, you know, that sort of resourcefulness is really good against a back to the basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge big man. You know, the Zubaches, the Steven Adams, the Valanchunas of the world. You always, you know, would favor his foot speed in scenarios like that and his athleticism. I mean, like, yeah, that one putback dunk at the beginning of the game versus Zubach. Like, yeah, that was actually pretty crazy. I won't lie. Yeah, he had, he had some good plays tonight. And um, he, I, I thought he did a really good job just being able to operate so seamless, you know, with a new teammate like that. It's not easy, especially when that's a new ball handler, despite how good he is. But he did a really good job just knowing when to – you know, set hard and went to slip a screen and he was doing some good things there. So I was really, I was impressed by his game tonight, even though it wasn't anything insane, you know, it was still his normal defensive bouts, but I genuinely enjoyed watching him play tonight. I, I thought he contributed to winning basketball. Next up, Jaron, um, sort of the the unsung hero of the, the starting lineup outside of Kyrie. I, I thought his defensive game tonight was off the charts. I mean, just, he, he proved, you know, he can step up to the pressure. Kyrie's debut game, I mean, I'm sure he's a younger guy. He admires him. There, there were obviously some pressure there. This guy stepped up to the plate tonight, and that, that's Josh Green. Pretty – just he continues his stretch of insane games. What did you have to make of his game on both sides of the ball tonight? Yeah, I mean, Josh Green was just an absolute clinic on both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean, defensively, he brought – and uh, a level of energy that we've become accustomed to, but he just elevated that to a different level um, going after balls. Uh, that sounds bad, but going after loose balls and <laughs> going after that's a horse. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> um, um, no, I, I can, you know, I'll, I'll redirect it back to you here, but to, to your point, I, I thought that I, I tweeted at some point during the game that I thought he's going to be on an all NBA team. Uh, in terms or all NBA defensive team and at some point in the near future, maybe even if not this year, within the next year or two, um, because just having watched him and his progression, I mean, even in the coming weeks or the, the last few weeks, rather, it has been even distinguishable from the beginning of this season, just how much he's got better, just in terms of not taking as many gambles, not over fouling as much. I mean, he is staying, you know, pat for pat with his man at the point of attack. I mean, Kawhi, and Paul George, I mean, I I think he got maybe bodied, you know, when he got switched on to Zubach and the Mavericks weren't able to scram switch maybe once or twice, and I don't know. And obviously he got a lot of tough mid-range jump shots hit in front of him, but he did an insane job in terms of his closeouts in this game. And in particularly, in, you know, obviously guarding Kawhi and Paul George, which is a t- tall task with Dorian gone. I mean, he's essentially the Mavericks' best defender now, and he's living up to that. Uh, title that I don't know if everybody else is comfortable putting him that on him you know maybe some of you guys would go Reggie or some Maxi I personally would go Josh Green I mean the the way in which he's having a defensive impact is that of a you know top 10 all defensive team type of guy because while he's doing all these things and being a great on-ball defender he's also making these splashy defensive plays as an off-ball defender I mean some of the help the help side things he's able to do. Like there was a lob that he broke up between Zubach that, um, you know, I think, I think he was a little late on the rotation and he just flew in and got it. I mean, I can, you know, I can count on maybe two hands, the amount of guys in the NBA that make that play um, and just the amount of steals and fronting he was able to do on guys. And 
picking off a of passing lanes. He had, I believe, two steals and one block tonight, but it seemed like so much more. And I mean, if he continues on this trajectory, especially if the Mavericks are able to get another wing defender to alleviate some of the pressure from him, I mean, I think the sky's the limit with how young this guy is in terms of his defensive pressure uh, and the ability to be able to guard one through three. I think he really could become one of the best in our games. I'm, I'm extremely high on his his defensive versatility. Like what we saw tonight um, was just a microcosm of a sort of bigger stretch over the last 10 games, but it, it was definitely emblematic and um, of just how good he has been in these last 10 games, because it, it's been that of a guy that, you know, whether it's off ball or on ball is just, probably one of the more highly touted defenders in this game, even if the national media doesn't necessarily recognize that. And I'm not afraid to throw that label at him, you know, even if everybody else isn't necessarily on that train. I mean, I, cause I do think he's on the pathway to getting there. Um, did you have any more thoughts on his game defensively tonight or what he, or offensively? Yeah, I think um, defensively, I think, you know, just looking big picture here, I would say it's probably safe to call him, at least later on in his future, or, I mean, heck, you can call it now. Uh, I mean, he's a defensive savant whenever it comes to that. He calls the doubles right on time, like smart doubles. Uh, they're not stupid. He's, I like what you alluded to where his help side defense was just incredible tonight. You know, he's able to break up that lob pass from Zubats because he was a little late in a rotation and he was able to athletically make that play. I mean, there's really not many guys that you can count on in the league to make that play, and he made it. And he made it confidently. And that, I mean, that's the difference between winning and losing in this league. And if we have a player like that to do that night in and night out, and it seems like Josh Green is that guy. I mean, that just opens up worlds of different sort of things that you can do with him. Um, kind of offensively, I just wanted to touch up, you know, him and Kyrie looked really, really, really good uh, in transition. That was sort of a like match made in heaven. It kind of seemed like at times. And I mean, just able to the way that they were able to push the ball, um, especially in transition, it didn't even have to be in Kyrie's hands, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, at times that we saw Josh Green sort of bringing the ball up and Kyrie was working off of Josh. And that looked really good because it made Josh not only look, you know, good as a, a look really good as a on ball kind of guy, but it also made Kyrie look good off ball. Um, and that's sort of like the role I think we'll see more Kyrie be adjourned to whenever Luca's on the floor. Um, I guess just what this sort of does is like big picture wise, like Josh Green. I mean, I don't think you can confidently call him a ball or a, a playmaker, but this this sort of puts him into a elevated role um, in which you can rely upon it in certain stints. And I think that's sort of my main takeaway from this is he looked really good uh, playmaking and sort of being the main ball handler at times. I, I was really impressed with that. No, 100%. And he he's used to like kind of bring the ball up the court as they, um, they run some like stagger action to get Kyrie the ball at the point of attack after that. But, and, you know, but then late, later in the possession, he's always coming off these DHOs and curl offs. I mean, he, he just has, you know, when, when things hit the fan, he, he's a guy who can attack in the moment's notice, but, he can also serve as just a guy who's screening, you know, constantly cutting and moving off ball and, um, you know, maintaining that corner if need be as a kickout option. So he just offers such a versatility on both ends. That's going to really elevate him into probably one of the better role players in our games as we continue 
um, here in the next year or two. I mean, I'm just not afraid to say that. Like, this guy showed me too much at too young of an age for me to not have a takeaway like that. As we delve into the bench a little bit, um, you know, I first want to talk about Christian Wood before we get into some of the other guys. He played 17 minutes tonight, um, had this sort of kind of like a wish, uh, sort of wishy-washy offensive game. He did get two blocks in that first half. I did a decent job like defending the rim, but after that, it, there were some unimpressive moments where he kind of got bodied against some smaller guys. What, what do you kind of attribute to his lack of playing time at the moment? Um, it, you know, is it coaching? Is it just obviously coming back from his injury? You know, I, I presume it's probably coming back from his injury. And, you know, we obviously talked in that first segment when we were talking about KD that we don't know if he'll be here uh, past the trade deadline tomorrow. But if he is, how do the Mavericks proceed forward in terms of incorporating his offensive fit with Luca and Kyrie, do you think that that's something that could be potentially too clunky together? And, and do you think that he's going to have enough defense to carry us over into the playoffs if they don't add another big man? I mean, to be honest, that's a big question. But um, I guess to sort of sum it all up, uh, I think to sort of surmise why he's gone off to the slow start since his injury is because of the injury. I mean, it was a thumb injury after all that's going to affect something. And I think that's affects sort of his effectiveness on the offensive end. And that's, I mean, shooting. just that and like getting reacclimated after not having played. Yeah, reacclimated. And even, I mean, being so heated up in trade talks, like your name's being thrown out there for pretty much every trade that involves anyone. Uh, I mean, that takes a toll on a guy and I think it's taken a toll on him. Um, and also I think it's a little bit of the, the coaching staff knowing that, you know, this could have been his last game in a Mavericks jersey. It's just sort of holding him off a little bit. Um, but if he does, I guess, sort of make it past the trade deadline, if he is still a Maverick by tomorrow, I think it's like two o'clock or whatever it is. Two o'clock PM Central Time, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you incorporate him? Uh, I mean, that's something that we haven't seen done before. I, I guess, like, and I mean, I guess you can't say I haven't seen done before, but um, it'll be interesting to see because it's a lot of mouths to feed in the sense that, you know, Christian Wood kind of needs the ball in his hands to work at times. Like, he's not a guy that, we have seen at times that he does this, but he's not a guy that like delivers, you know, strictly in creating his own offense. He's not a guy that can post up and just do all that. Like he needs the ball in his hands and works in the post for yeah. multiple seconds. So I guess yeah. to... face ups, um, things of that nature. Yeah. That's, that's obviously he's obviously a great, you know, roll cut big and, you know, in those pick and pop scenarios, but he, he does seem, and I, I mean, I would push back that he needs it, but I, I do think that, just in terms of the way that they'd operate with him on offense, like he will have a desire to, you know, get a few more posts up and face up possessions, you know, per usual as he usually commands. And he may just not have uh, the Mavericks may not have the basically just the resourcefulness to be able to consolidate those possessions to him. I mean, I'm sure he'll still get a couple of those a game, but he, he's going to have to learn how to, um, you know, be a benefactor off of Kyrie and Luca just a little bit more. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That doesn't necessarily constitute his scoring output going down, but just, you know, a little bit different stylistically, maybe a little less one-on-one possessions. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I like how you mentioned those two blocks at the beginning of this, but outside of that, I don't think it was really too impressive from Christian Wood. Um, and yeah, I mean, he just kind of looks like a guy who, really didn't know where he was at times. Um, and then at times he just looked like he was trying to force things a little bit and it looks kind of unnatural. 
Um, I, I just think, you know, that's really the reason why he played 17 minutes, getting acclimated to, especially, you know, Kyrie Irving, uh, but also, you know, trade deadline is looming and he has serviced as a name that would be moved. So I think it's sort of a, a little mix of both. That's why he's only been playing like a total of like, not a total, but an average of like 15 and a half minutes per these games. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, just from the, you know, if we're, if we're making comparisons here, he honestly kind of looked of the, the same sort of category that KP was in the, you know, in that 2021 playoff series versus the Clippers, you know, not necessarily like the, the whole court corner standing prerogative where you just relegate to the corner, but he definitely, you know, just because of the lineups that the Clippers are able to go with when Zubach isn't on the floor. And like you alluded to, you know, with him kind of coming off the bench here as he's getting reacclimated into the starting lineup and then having Dwight Powell start, you know, Dwight Powell's mirroring a lot of his minutes with Zubach and, you know, he has the ability to then, you know, occasionally blow past him um, when he fakes a dribble handoff sometimes, or if he is, you know, just getting a lob and he's kind of able to get behind him. But, you know, when Wood's going to get up against all these wings that, you know, might I add, are really not too um, indifferential in terms of their size to him. Like a lot of them are around his height because just because how big the, the Clippers are, they got all these six, eight, six, nine wings, you know, Batum, Paul George, Kawhi, obviously it definitely served as a limiting factor in terms of, you know, him just not being strong enough against some of these guys in the post as he normally is when he gets a little more favorable mismatches against some of these guards and, you know, him having a bad shooting night in tandem with that and still trying to get acclimated at that, at that end, uh, you know, that's just a sort of a recipe for him having a bad offensive night. I mean, look, he played def- decent uh, defensively to his credit when he was in there. Um, you know, he still obviously got bodied and blown by a few times, but he had a few good stands. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously have to see what happens. There's a lot of gray area in terms of what his future as a Maverick was, but um, I don't think tonight was definitely um, a, a help for the case of Christian Wood staying a Maverick. But then again, we do need, you know, context is important. He wasn't in the most favorable position necessarily to have a great impact on the game, you know, coming off injury and, having only played 17 minutes. So we, we do have to can take that into consideration. I thought two night, two guys that came in and filled very serviceable roles tonight um, off the bench were Jaden Hardy and Theophilus Penson. And, you know, starting with Theo, because this is a guy that usually doesn't play the Mavericks opted to go to him over, you know, an AJ Lawson or new Maverick Markeith Morris in terms of those, you know, sort of, or even Frank in terms, in terms of those last ditch wings coming off the bench. I mean, I don't know what exactly the, the reasoning was, but he obviously has a good chemistry with Kyrie. He came in and played some very valuable offensive minutes just in terms of, you know, being in the right place, making the right cuts, um, you know, being a solid ball mover, making a few threes. Um, so much so that a lot of people on Twitter, including myself, were basically saying that we start subscribing to the Title League podcast because um, he is hashtag just uh, not just a podcaster anymore. And, and Theo's out here making – real moves. I mean, this is probably his most effective and meaningful game of the season, like you know, undoubtedly in, in, a, in a game that actually matters like this. Uh, what did you think of his uh, impact off the bench? You know, he tacked off closeouts a few times, did, did a few different interesting things that we just simply haven't seen from him this year. Yeah. So I would probably say, I mean, this might be a season high 15 minutes for him. Um, maybe outside of like the Houston game earlier in the year, but outside of that, I mean, he, he had an amazing night. This was honestly a career night for him on you know ESPN of course uh but he was just 
able, I guess, to be like serviceable. And that's a lot for him. Uh, he was able to be in the right spots at the right times. Uh, and especially working off Kyrie, like he looked really fluid and he actually looked like an NBA player um, who knew what he was doing. Uh, he, you know, I, I like how you said he was able to attack off closeouts at times and he looked natural doing it. Um, I know he got to the hole a few times and even made a layup. Maybe it was two layups. Um, but even just splashing down the threes, like he looks, I mean, he, I think it's safe to say he like looked really impressive. He looked like a guy that could come off the bench and do this every few games. Um, now I'm not saying he is going to do that, but this was really impressive in what we saw in him. Um, and honestly, for a guy that's hashtag, not just a podcaster, it was really cool, um, to see him of all people do it. And especially I, I know it brought the attention of like Mike Breen and Mark Jackson and all of them. And I thought it was really funny because I, I think on a national stage, not many people know his name and this is a cool way to, I guess, not branch out, but a cool way to get your name across just to have a career night of nine points in 15 minutes. So. No, hundred percent. And um, I mean, just the way, I mean, he wasn't even a net negative on defense, you know, it's obviously not a strong suit, but he, he held his own on that ground on the other end. And he, he just looked like a solid utility guy. He added a little bit of tertiary playmaking and that was obviously his strong suit coming out of UNC. Um, you know, he, he was serviceable as a ball mover and he, he drained some open threes. And I mean, I mean, the Mavericks could definitely use the, that injection if he's able to do that every couple games, like you said, but we'll see if they actually get that. But I was impressed and it was, it was cool and getting to see his camaraderie with Kyrie and, you know, their whole dap up on the court. That was, that was dope. So that, that was cool from Theo tonight and everything, especially, um, you know, he called out Brad Townsend earlier in the day. So just all good vibes. I, I, I need to see this. Team. I actually didn't know he called him out. So oh, yeah, you, you go ahead and look, that, look at that up, but uh, I'm not going to mention that any furthermore. Um, we're not here to, to criticize our esteemed local media here on the mainstream mass podcast. Of course, that is as for Twitter only. Um, but otherwise I thought Jaden Hardy, you know, he had five turnovers tonight. He definitely got sloppy with it at times. And there, there were the, I think it was a sort of perfect mix of hitting the rookie wall while also having, you know, a very effective output tonight. And it's crazy to see the sort of dynamic between him and Kyrie. And I, I presume it seems like, He's a guy who looks up to him a lot, and we definitely look to him to kind of uh, – if Kyrie does end up signing here uh, past this summer and things of that nature, this is a guy that we definitely look for Kyrie to kind of vet and bring up to speed eventually and hopefully mentor to an extent, at least on, you know, on the court. And it obviously it seems as if they they definitely – you know, Jaden looks up to him to an extent. You know, Kyrie wants to see him succeed. He was always getting up and – you know, getting loud every time Jaden would do something good in the game. Um, but I think on both sides of the ball, he was pretty active tonight, even if he did have some pretty, uh, pretty, uh, some pretty heinous rookie mistakes just from how um, pretty, uh, the best way I could describe it was just like how unforgiving they were. Like they were, they were very easy reads a lot of the time, but you know, that, that's going to happen, but just some of the talent output in terms of the crossovers and, you know, the, the hesitations that he was able to pull off and route to getting to the rim, it, it almost makes it worth it to an extent. And I mean, I, I think he has earned himself a consistent role on this team after that Utah game, albeit even if it is, you know, some nights only maybe five to 10 minutes, some nights 15 to 20, maybe some nights even 25. I, I do think that that Utah game warranted that, um, which is good because I think the Mavericks are going to need to address that third ball handler position by committee if they don't get a guy in the buyout market, which I mean, I think is completely fine. Cause I think like we said, the priority is defense. 
So we'll just have to kind of have to see how that situation dissipates. But what did you have to think of how Jaden played tonight? Yeah, I mean, I there's really not much to take away, but Jaden Hardy, I mean, he serviced really well in that sort of off the bench point guard position. I know he only played 12 minutes in this game, but even still, he's able to finish with eight points. And those eight points were really valuable, just the way he was able to sort of cross over and get to the cup. Um, I think it's really cool to see, you know, a guy who's only been a Maverick for three days sort of cheering his name on and getting hype about uh, Jaden Hardy scoring because that's sort of like the the guy that all year has been sort of the, the team guy, like the guy that you want to see succeed. Um, and to see a guy who's only been here and acclimated to Mavericks jersey for three days, of course, um, sort of take that into consideration is really, really cool. Um, now, I do. Yeah, he did have some rookie moments in terms of turnovers that were really as you said unforgivable um and it kind of seems like there's always like one rookie moment outside of the Utah game it seems like there's always one rookie moment in in a game for Jane Hardy uh, of course Detroit he got blocked like four times and then in this one he had five turnovers but um this is one where you know you want to see him get his hiccups out uh this is one where he deserved reps and honestly I'm gonna I'm gonna second you I think that he has a role uh on this team this year um and I mean, if we do position to get someone in the buyout market, so be it. But I, I'm really impressed with what I've seen with Jane Hardy this season. And this is another game of being really impressive. And, you know, as you said, like the five turnovers, five turnovers were kind of worth it uh, to see his output on the offensive end and even defensive end for that matter. Yeah, no, 100 percent. McKinley Wright played a little bit in this one. I thought he did a decent job of I think the best way the Mavericks can sort of um stagger those guys off the bench uh, in terms of playing them together, not stagger them from the perspective of having one on and one off, but when they're on the court together, you know, let Hardy kind of roam a little bit more off ball, let Wright handle more of the playmaking stuff. Um, but when Hardy does get a mismatch and that he can go at one-on-one, you know, let him go and, you know, set him up for success in terms of being able to attack off a closeout or a shot. Cause I think McKinley Wright's definitely inclined a little bit more as a playmaker and obviously, you know, is probably even a bit of a little bit of a defender. I was pretty impressed with his defense tonight. I thought his defense was um, really good on Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann, uh, both guys that are a little bit bigger than him too, as a lot of NBA players are. I mean, I was I was thoroughly impressed with that. You know, he obviously didn't do anything in the scoring department, but I, I do, I did enjoy you know having him and Hardy fill in the gaps to give Kyrie a breather. I think is going to be something that. You know, post in Woody, uh, if the Mavericks don't address the ball, third ball handler situation, uh, is, is a sort of solution to that. And I, I think that's a way they can kind of mend things. And I, I did enjoy watching that tonight with, without a shadow of a doubt. And just him pushing the tempo and transition things of that nature. I thought he played solid. And I'm ex- excited to see if he actually has a real role in this team, too. And I, that may be a thing at this point, because uh, I, I like the sort of consolidation there where you have Hardy, who's your, more of your ball handler. And you know, your shot creator and then right more of the playmaker, right? And um a little bit better for defenders. So that was that was cool to watch. Uh, lastly, on the in terms of how the Mavericks fare tonight, let's get into JaVale McGee. You know, he only played a brisk, I think like six and a half minutes tonight, but he had three blocks and five rebounds. Really came and filled the, the gaps quite well. They only played him when Zubach was out there and a lot of his blocks, you know, were at the point of attack. Um they're not rather or rather kind of like right under the rim, of course. Um, he had one in transition that was really good. And he had like one, you know, off a Zubach offensive rebound. And he, he had one, I think where he rotated over and he either got like Norman power, Terrence, man, I can't remember specifically, but he has some impressive defensive plays in this game. 
Uh, I don't know exactly where this JaVale McGee has been all season, but um, he did play well tonight. Do you think that this is something to to look forward to? I guess I guess we didn't mention him, but this is also a guy who may be expendable by tomorrow. We'll have to kind of see what happens. Maybe not. I don't think he has as high of a chance of being gone as a Tim Hardaway or a Christian Wood, but um, he there's obviously some credence to the fact that he could get moved. So what, what did you have to surmise out of his brief little time tonight? Because it, it was one of the best defensive outputs that I think we've seen from him so far, even though it was so short a stint. I mean, he had three blocks tonight. Yeah, I think um, JaVale McGee's the the rim protector we've all been looking for. Uh, that's, that's a joke, by the way. But um, no, I mean, he definitely like actually looked like an NBA player, a serviceable big uh, tonight and you know I, I kind of figured with this Kyrie trade it would kind of open up his game a little bit but I don't think we'll see this at all like or at least we won't see this average um, or I guess we won't see this regularly I should put it um, this this is like sort of a one-off occasion but I yeah, wouldn't I don't be know. Saying, it kind of depends I think Zubac is the sort of this is a sort of like perfect, perfect matchup where he's a yeah. slower footed center to where he can stay with him but you know, he, he wasn't out there when the Clippers were really running small ball and all that sort of stuff. So obviously tread carefully as we have with any of these one off good McGee games. But, you know, just just don't take just don't hold too much water or don't put all your eggs in one basket in terms of your JaVale McGee stock. But, you know, if he starts to string together some games, that's when we start having discussion. But, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we don't want to take any overarching narratives away from this, but we do need to acknowledge that he played good and he, he, he played really in good. that second, third quarter stretch. So. That was yeah, I mean, he had like three blocks and two possessions, I think it was. And I mean, it looked impressive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're gonna see, we're gonna need to see a little more to really raise our eyebrows. But yeah, it was it was a good Javel McGee game, and that's that's really rare nowadays. So yeah. So so next, if we're gonna kind of get into just the sequential order of this game, obviously the Mavericks had a stellar first half. They um, you know, they they sort of tailed off a little bit towards the end of the se- uh, second quarter, but the, the ebb and flow of the offense, you know, between Kyrie, you know, setting up those shooters and, and Josh Green and him pushing the tempo and transition was really working out well. And it was, I mean, I think they scored like 40 some odd points in that first half and that first quarter. It, it was one of the more fun, you know, Reggie was shooting the lights. That was one of the more fun quarters, I think, of Mavericks basketball this season. And, and they were playing, you know, they were playing pretty solid defense, especially on Kawhi and PG. They were, they did just a good job denying Kawhi in that first half. He just wasn't really getting much opportunities that obviously changed in the second half. Um, but, you know, just collectively, they, they seemed like they were doing a good job, a good job of denial on PG and Kawhi tonight in that first half. And obviously the, the tone definitely shifted in that second half uh, with Kawhi just absolutely started cooking in the mid range. And from three, he seemed like he, no matter how good the defense was, he was seemingly making everything. And that, that, you know, once the Mavericks had to, kind of start trapping and doubling him a little bit more that seemed to open up the ability for a Terrence Mann or for a Norman Powell attack off a closeout a few times Paul George got going a little bit um so just from that perspective what did you have to surmise out of how the Clippers played tonight and the the pressure that they put on the Mavericks in that second half because it seemed like there were stretches where the Mavericks had opportunities to start to put this game away but they just weren't able due to due to a variety of factors, but they luckily were able to pull through in the end. Yeah, I think um, I guess it, just in sake of the clay, the Clippers. Um, yeah, I mean it was definitely a bad shooting quarter in that first quarter, uh, but overall they definitely rebounded very well. 
Um, and that's why sort of, as we saw in like the third and fourth quarter, it became a game. Um, and that's really all like, I think, you know, the Clippers were given many chances and unfortunately they were not, or I guess, fortunately, they were able to not take advantage of those. Um, and I want to say wire to wire, it was a, a Mavs lead. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Mavericks, they looked impressive. Um, and in terms of the Clippers, like that's a really, really good team. I think they were eight and two in their last 10 games before this. Um, and to go in their place and beat them where I think they were also on a four game win streak or something like that. Um, it, it looked really impressive too, in the fashion that they did it, but yeah, in terms of the Clippers, it's just a little slow footed at times. And then it's sort of, it was a little too late. Um, by the time, like the Clippers really got things going, the Mavericks, it was Kyrie time. And that's whenever Kyrie started to cook. So I think it was just a little too late uh, for the Clippers to go to work, but needless to say, um, this was a, a big win. So, yeah, no, I, I would, I would second you on that there, but I mean, to, to your point though, like I, I thought Kawhi did a great job just in on both sides of the ball. Uh, he was forcing the issue on a lot of those turnovers. We talked about Kyrie's five turnovers, Jaden Hardy's five turnovers. The Mavericks obviously had a high turnover night because of that. The Mavericks came away in this game with uh, 18 turnovers overall. It's usually like five or six above their average. And a lot of that do, was due to just sort of the conglomerate of wing defenders that they have um, between Batum, Paul George, Terrence Mann. Uh, the, these were all guys that really were able to force the issue on the defensive end. And, you know, as I alluded to with Norm Powell and Terrence Mann, they just both did a good job pushing the issue, the issue in transition, attacking off of closeouts, you know, coming off of curl-offs, getting downhill, both of those guys fling themselves into the basket with a lot of momentum. And they were able to knock down a couple threes on top of that. Um, so it, it was definitely, um, you know, we, we saw the full, sort of full depth of their roster and we see why they had the reluctance to, trade a Terrence man because that guy kind of is their sort of versatile two-way point guard of their future to an extent you know Zubach I thought the Mavericks did a decent job on him he only came away with 10 boards in this one um you know he had a he had like that one block where he rotated over on Josh Green in the short roll and you know swatted his um for lack of a better term swatted his shit into next week but besides that you know I, I know Ka Kawhi only had 18 points but it just seemed like he was so hyper efficient, it almost seemed as if he had more than that, just the way in which he was cooking and making some of those tough, tough shots. Outside of that, I mean, I thought the Mavericks did a good job of limiting all the other like guys. Cause I mean, Norman Powell and Terrence Mann carried a bulk of that, you know, those um those wing and supplementary guard and three and D D rolls. I mean, between Batum and Robert Covington, there was only one three made, you know, the sure they played good defensively, but Batum had, or Robert Covington had a three. Batum had no points. Um, that was all the only I thought they did a pretty good job on Reggie Jackson as well. Um, Kyrie, just when he was matched up on him, he seemed he kind of made easy work of him. And even when Jaden Hardy was on him, like they definitely were able to fill in the gaps in some of the weaker Clipper players. And it definitely didn't make me feel any better. Um, about potentially adding Reggie Jackson for uh, only for Christian Wood, as I had mentioned at the top of the pod, just from the value aspect and what the Mavericks need at the moment. Um, but, you know, outside of, uh, you know, Paul George, he kind of got going in the second half there, uh, made a few threes and some late game and you know, mid-range jump shots. But I think the Mavericks played, you know, Reggie, as I said, played great defense on him on the most part, for the most part. And as did Josh on, on Kawhi, he just, you know, ended up making some tough shots in this one. But I mean, outside of that, just kind of a weak effort from some of the Clippers role players, just some negative regression shooting-wise. 
that the Mavericks kind of did admittedly benefit from this uh, from in this one. But, you know, with Marcus Moore senior only hitting two, having two points, uh, Reggie Jackson only having seven and Roko only having three. And then, um, you know, Luke Kennard, not he only played like six minutes, didn't score, you know, Batum having none. So they definitely benefited from that sort of uh, some of that sort of stuff. But uh, nonetheless, I, I thought the Mavericks filled in the gaps where they could amidst some of the Clippers more prominent role players, you know, and Jack um, and, and Pal and Man having a good game and Kawhi and PG playing pretty good. Uh, the Mavericks limited the other guys, and that's kind of what it was able to bring them home with a victory tonight. You know, obviously the Clippers, they were going kind of going back and forth there in the fourth quarter. And, you know, it was um, definitely a kind of there – were, there were some um, stretches where you questioned if the Mavericks were really going to be able to pull it away. But nonetheless, uh, they, uh, they stayed uh, tried and true to, you know, uh, their offensive principles in terms of and they really started to run things through Kyrie in those last few minutes, even though you know, they had some questionable decisions in, certain, in terms of going elsewhere to there were some rough Christian Wood positions earlier in that fourth quarter. But um, it, it ended up panning out. You know, Kyrie had some tough buckets down the stretch uh, to carry this team over the finish line. And then, of course, Tim Hardaway Jr. with that three. Um, I think it was what, 20 some, some odd seconds left. The Mavericks were up five, you know, but by no means said they put the game away. It may have been like 30 something seconds left. And Kyrie gets double the dishes at the Theo Penson, who was playing in that closing lineup because, you know, he had done so well. I, I kind of failed to mention that, but that, that's a cool thing that he was able to get some run in that closing lineup. Uh, he, he dishes that to Kyrie on the wing who drains a three. So, I mean, not Kyrie, but um, Tim Hardaway Jr. rather. And that was the that was essentially the dagger after that. It, they seemingly kind of just played the, the free throw game after that. Uh, as Tim Hardaway Jr. put the Mavericks up eight with like 25 seconds left or something like that. And, and they they executed well down the stretch. And this is what I talked about. You know, Kyrie's a really clutch player. And, you know, even if the touches weren't necessarily there in his first game, he took command when it mattered most. And uh, the Mavericks were able to pull through, even if they did benefit from uh, sort of a negative regression shooting game from the Clippers. Uh, do you have any more like lasting thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it was a, an impressive win to say the least. But uh, just from a big picture perspective, like uh, there's moves to be made. Of course, we mentioned this before, um, and this was a game where you know it was a feel-good win. Of course, and of course, Kyrie's debut ended in a, a good victory, um, and it was a fun, really fun game to watch. But I, I think it's safe to say the Mavericks are fun again. Um, let's hope they go make them the move or two before the 2 p.m. Maybe even three. Yeah, maybe even three. Who knows? Uh, before the 2 p.m. Uh, trade deadline. But uh, I'm really impressed with this Mavericks team thus far. And now with uh, how juggernaut the Suns have become, I think you just have to make another move. Two yeah. Or three. So no, I mean, like the next like 48 hours are really exciting. Um, we're going to get to hopefully see Luca and Kyrie's debut together and hopefully some up maybe, you I know, think- I got to see one over there. Is it Friday night against Sacramento? I believe so, because I know they ne- they have the next two games against Sacramento. It's going to be a tough stretch. We'll see how they pull away from that. But if they get Luca and Kyrie back together, I mean, the opportunities are limitless. So I'm really excited about that. But obviously, we'll see what happens with the whole trade deadline and with the Mavericks make any moves there, because I'm very intrigued. That could um, – I mean, imagine just sort of the excitement if the Mavericks are going into all-star break with a couple wins under their belt with the new guys in the trade deadline, you know, that we may – acquire tomorrow with Kyrie and everything. Let's just, let's just see how they round out this roster. If they do, if they don't, it'll suck. And we'll, but you know, at least we'll have the excitement of Luca and Kyrie and we'll just have to sort of proceed from there, but we're going to have it all covered for you. And 
we're really excited no matter what they do, even though we we definitely would hope and think that they will make a move. You never know what, what the, um, you know, the players that have been longstanding in this front office, mainly when I say that, that just means Mark Cuban. So um, we'll, we'll have to see what ends up happening, but nonetheless, you know, it's, it's there for the taking and I'm really excited about, you know, what's going to dissipate it. And I'm really intrigued to see Kyrie and Luca's debut, you know, an all time exciting high for that. But, you know, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and end the podcast. Make sure to like and comment and subscribe. If you're on the YouTube comment, what you think the Mavericks are going to do within the next 11 hours. And if they make a trade or not, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at mainstream underscore Mavs. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you guys are listening on. Or give us a five-star rating if you so please. That being said, we appreciate you guys listening this far into the show. And we will catch you guys after the trade deadline tomorrow night, no matter what happens, even if they don't make a move.